just a, a couple of quick announcements, housekeeping things as we get into our, our message this morning. At the end of the service, we're having that quick, quick meeting. So after I say amen, don't run out. Members, you have to just stay for, for a couple quick minutes. Um, next weekend, Memorial Day weekend, I know all of you will be out yard sailing. Don't forget to come and yard sail here and bring your donations by. We're going to be having a, a number of people doing yard sales out here in the, uh, the IYG youth group. is going to be out here uh, raising funds. They're also going to be washing cars uh, Friday, Saturday. We're going to be doing a car wash and a uh, yard sale each day. Right after church on Sunday, they're going to open it back up for a few more hours and wash cars. Now, here, here is what, what Ed and I were talking about yesterday. Since your cars, it's a good time to get them washed on Sunday. Right after church... They're going to be barbecuing hot dogs and having drinks out here right after church. And we're going to have some tables set up there, so if you want your car washed, you can stay, have a hot dog fellowship, have some, have some time, and they'll get busy washing the cars. And, and the hot dogs only cost you a dollar. And the drinks only cost you a dollar. And the car wash will only cost you however much you want to give to, for washing your car. It's a donation car wash. Suggested donation of 100 But, you know, you can donate anything you want. Well, you know, I have to say, when I was in Oakdale, this was really funny. We did a youth car wash up there one time. And, and you know, we, we actually we did them all the time up there. It was really hot. and It was kind of a fun thing to do with youth. And we had a parking lot off the main road, so it was really easy to do them. And we were doing them. And, and you know, people would come in. They'd give 3 or 5 or $10. And every once in a while, a little car would come and give us $50. That was great. We had a big rig tractor, truck, you know, tractor, tra- tractor without the trailer, but a big rig truck come in. And, and, and those guys... They pay a lot of money at the Flying J to get their trucks washed. And I thought, here we go. We're going to make some good money. We had to get ladders out. We cleaned that. We scraped bugs off. And we, we're thinking at least 50 bucks. The guy gave us $5. So the moment he left, we prayed for bugs to splatter everywhere. Just, you know, send a, send a, a plague of locust on that truck. No, but, but you know, we, we rejoiced in that. Yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, 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 and actually, that was actually part of the story. And I was wrestling inside of me, and I said, you know, the kids were mad, you know, and you know, and they were getting, and, and I was wrestling. I thought, come on, and I said, you know, God is God, and, and He is really good. And that was one of those days that shortly after that, another car came in and gave us like a fifty-dollar offering for washing their car. See, no matter what happens, God can redeem things, and it might not come in the places we want. But anyways, so stay after church next week, get your car washed, um, find some, you know, there, you probably need more junk, so come out here and find some. There's going to be some really good stuff. I've already been seeing some of it, and um, so you want to come out and check it out, to, uh, put it on your calendar Friday, Saturday, and after church on Sunday. We are looking for some, some guys to come at about 4 o'clock, about 3.30 or 4 o'clock to clean the mess up. And it's, it's really a lot of work. So if there's any, a few extra bodies would come for about two hours, two to three hours at the end. I think we're going to have a, a dump trailer or two. We're going to have all that stuff. So, you know, because everything we're going to take, take, we're going to move it off the premises. And so if, if there's a few guys could come and help with that, that would be great. And if you want to come and do, volunteer, donate a couple of hours of just being here during the time to work the yard sale or anything like that, you are cordially invited. Um, Sunday, June 10th, it's in, it's in your bulletin, but I want to make a special uh, mention of it. 
the tent meetings that we ha- we've been having now for three years, we're going to have another, this year again. Jason Friend will be coming and speaking again all week long. Uh, we're going to have a, a great time of worship. The, uh, it's, it's happening. The, the funds, the finances uh, still need to come in. There's some front money. So all the pastors, I'm looking forward to this, all the pastors have decided that we're going to have a barbecue to raise money for the tent meeting, June 10th, after service. So all the pastors and all, all the church, we're all going to meet over at Summit Christian Fellowship, the Assemblies of God by the church, by the hospital. Uh, immediately after, after service, we're going to have, they've got a rock climbing wall. We might have a game of wiffle ball or something, but we'll be having barbecue out there, and it's a donation. So it would be a great time just to come. If you, if you go out to lunch on a Sunday, make that the place you go to lunch on the Sunday, June 10th to come out and raise funds for this great tent meeting and begin to pray about the tent meeting revival time with Jason Friend, that souls would be one, that the church would come together in unity, that even churches maybe in the past who haven't participated would would participate this year. And we would come together and show a unified uh, body of Christ to the community. It's been some wonderful times. Who went last year? Just by a show of hands. Wow, that's amazing. Don't, was, is it worth going again? There you go. So there it is. And uh, uh, the tent meeting is July 8th for seven nights, starting on Sunday night. July 8th is for that whole week. And uh, we, we'll be com- more announcements will be coming because we need lots of crews ahead of time to set up tents, to move chairs, to do a lot of those things. And it's a, also a great place, uh, on top of our life groups, to invite a friend who maybe who doesn't know Jesus that's a great, for, you know, it's a great door in that they, they can come and, and uh, hear some really good, good music. But more than that, be in the presence of God and then hear the teaching and the delivery of the, of the Word of God. Amen. Down to, the, down to the prison in Oak, in Oak Glen um, uh, because we, we had cell meetings down there too. That's only a 45-minute cell meeting, a cellulite. Not at this rate. Mm. What is it that when a couple of jokes start getting told, people start thinking of more, at least I do, and they just start running through my head all the little things you could say? I want to read our key text for this morning, Galatians chapter 3. I'm sorry, Galatians chapter 1. My dyslexia is kicking in. Galatians chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. Thank you.
and ever. Amen. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. Father, we thank you for all that's already happened this morning. Pray an anointing upon the word of God that you would open up our ears and our hearts to hear and to receive that which you want to speak. God, and that you would activate the message with faith, courage, and boldness. In Jesus' name. You know, we're living in exciting times. Your initial response, though, might not be exciting to say that these are exciting times, but maybe rather words like scary, crazy, or sad come to your mind in the times that we're living. They come to my mind. But if we understand through the lens of the Word of God and in history, then indeed these times are very exciting. We're living in a time that we need God. We absolutely need God. Our own works, our own efforts, our understanding, all these things are inviting a huge catastrophe upon us as a people. You know, we're really messing it up. We're, as people, we're really messing this whole thing up. We're messing up socially, morally, economically, and of course, spiritually. I was thinking about that, and I was looking for all those others, as, as preachers do, looking all for, for those other ugly words, you know. And I thought, well, what about ecologically? And I actually thought, that's one thing that might be getting better than it was maybe in the 70s, you know, when, when all this stuff came along. And then I thought, that in itself is another mess up. Because we're beginning to, we're beginning to value the creation above the Creator. So even though it's a good thing, because God told us to be stewards of this world, we're, we're supposed to care for it. We're not supposed to let it go down the drain. And we've done that. And we're, we're coming, we're, we're making a tide, but we're elevating it above the Creator Himself. So even in, in the good that we're doing, we're still messing up. How exciting. <laughs> How exciting. You know, it can be exciting. Because I believe that times like these can be a great soil. Soil for the manifestation of God's presence. Soil. Revival. It's coming to our land. You know, Carmen was great. <laughs> who, who, you know, we think about revival. Even, you know, isn't there something about that tune like that? Just much, you just got excited. Who wants to see revival? Yeah. We, I, I want to see revival, and and I, I, I found this this great resource. It's it's an online book, and you can purchase it also. And I, I'm going to read it. I, I just in the midst of my studying, I found it. I started reading. Going, it's taking me off track because. But I, I brought an excerpt of this, and this is a, it's a book called The Ten Greatest Revivals Ever by Towns and Porter. When most people pray for revival, 
they are probably asking for a wonderful experience at church next Sunday at 9.30. But revival is more than a Sunday morning experience. When you pray for revival, you're asking God for life-shaking experiences that will cost you plenty. It's agonizing because in revival you become terrorized over your sin and you repent deeply. It's consuming because in revival you have no time for hobbies, for chores around the house, for work, for sleep. Revival crashes your daytimer, interrupts TV times, demands your full attention, and wears you out. Usually when we pray for revival, we're telling God, sick them on all the bad guys. Little do we realize that revival begins with us, the people of God. As a matter of fact, we've got a suggestion for you who want revival. Don't pray for revival. Just repent of all known sin. Do everything you're supposed to do. Give God all, not part, but all your time, and you will experience revival. When revival came to Liberty University and Thomas Road Baptist Church in the fall of 1973, this is an amazing story, glory flooded the church auditorium. It was atmospheric revival. All normal activities in our lives shut down. This is written from the experience of one of the writers. Students and business people didn't want to leave the sanctuary because when they left the building, they were leaving the presence of God. They didn't want to miss anything that God was doing. Revival began on Wednesday evening at about 10.30 p.m., an hour after prayer meeting was over. It came when students and church members were milling around the front of the sanctuary. An amazing time for, for revival. They were just milling. Kind of like after service, just walking around. Most of the ushers and pastors had gone home. One student went to the pulpit, weeping to confess sins. The microphone and the pulpit lights were off, but God was there. The student's passionate repentance captured those who were still in the auditorium. Someone began singing. A pianist ran to play the piano. People dropped to their knees beside the altar in front pews. The piano was playing softly, not interrupting the sacred sound of tears. Shortly, another broken person approached the pulpit to confess sins. After two hours, frantic phone calls went out to the pastor and to the deacons. Revival hit the church. Church members were awakened in the middle of the night, hurriedly dressed and drove through the dark streets of Lynchburg. All came back to the church building expecting to experience God. No ties, no Sunday morning dresses. Just believers eager for the touch of God. They stayed at the church from Wednesday until Saturday morning. Classes were canceled. Most didn't leave for work. Some didn't eat. When drowsiness couldn't be fought off, students slept in the pews at the back of the auditorium, and some slept under the pews. Like the tide that comes and goes, there would be intense times when people were confessing their sins, than soft times of quiet weeping and private prayer around the altar. What stopped the revival? Early Saturday morning, one student rose to confess his sins, but he seemed to be bragging about what he did when he sinned. There was no shame, nor brokenness. The Holy Spirit, who knows the heart, departed from the meeting. Within one hour, all knew that the revival was over. All left, went home, and went back about their daily activities. Revival. It's about people seeking God and confessing their sins. Pastor, that's great and everything, but how does revival tie into the Scripture reference at the beginning of the message? 
And how does this tie into spiritual growth? You're doing a series on spiritual growth. This is why I want to tie this in. About a week and a half ago, an announcement was made from the President of the United States that he was endorsing same-sex marriage. We didn't talk about it last week. Wanted to honor mothers, and there really would have been a great opportunity to talk about it. Because Mother's Day is on its way out. Or we'll have two Mother's Days and no... What are we going to have? But he made this announcement. And it's, it's caused pastors to reflect and to think and decide whether, what, they're, what they're going to do and how to approach this. I want to read this, uh, just, uh, just the, the paragraph that actually President Obama said in response to his decision. When you, when you read it, there's a few things in here. This is our president. This is something that, you know, we've talked about over the years, and she, you know, feels the same way. She feels the same way that I do. And that is that. In the end, the values that I care most deeply about, and she cares most deeply about, is how we treat other people. And, you know, I, you know, we are both practicing Christians, and obviously this position may be considered to put us at odds with the views of others. But, you know, when we think about our faith, the thing at root that we think about is not only Christ sacrificing himself on our behalf, but it's also the golden rule, you know. Treat others the way you would want to be treated. And I think that's what we try to impart to our kids. And that's what motivates me as president. And I figure the most consistent I can be in being true to those precepts, the better I'll be as a dad and as a husband, and hopefully the better I'll be as president. Obviously, I was just quoted word-for-word word transcript. Do you catch in there that he tied in the golden rule with promoting and endorsing homosexual marriage? So Jesus himself says this is something we should promote. This is good for us. There's a number of issues here. And this morning, I'm not going to preach a political message. That's not, that's not what I'm doing. But I want to say that would be really entirely acceptable to do. It would be appropriate. And I want to let everyone know that as a church, as a 501c through, as a nonprofit church who's, who, who has a, an endorsement a tax, a tax, for tax purposes through the government, that there are laws that afford me as the pastor many rights to speak freely about issues like this, moral and religious topics that even affect how we as Christians should vote and even who we should vote for. It's very clear. I, I, we don't, we don't back down from that. We could go there, but that's not what we're doing this morning. My purpose is different. I've read a number of articles over the last couple of weeks, as, as I'm sure some of you have. Um, Focus on the Family, uh, Citizen Link, of course, which is the Ministry of Focus on the Family, AFA, the Tim Wildman, R.C. Sproul, FRC. All these things were just coming across my desk, and there was really no end to them. And even some semi-different viewpoints talking about what are we going to do about this. And one of the things that I heard is, there's, there's not a lot of talk about this from pastors, and the Senate hasn't risen up yet about him doing this. And one of the senators, um, a, a group came forward and says, the reason that they're not immediately having a backlash is because pastors have remained silent. Pastors and Christians have not con contacted their senators and their assemblymen about how they feel about this topic. So that's an encouragement to go do something about that. 
But as I was reading, I, I found some different, different spots, different things. R.C. Sproul was, had a different viewpoint, not that he was accepting homosexual marriage at all, um, but about our response. And in all these things, though, I want to speak about an additional concern that I have in the course that our nation is taking. It's not about whether we should elect Obama or, or someone else or what we should vote on in June or November. What I want to talk about has to do with our understanding and abiding, living by the authority and the infallibility of the Word of God. Obama misquotes Jesus and the meaning behind the Bible. And he does it just blatantly, and he's done it before. But he's a man of, of power and influence, and as he speaks, he influences people in their thinking. On top of Obama, leaders, pastors, teaching from the pulpit ideologies and theologies that are inconsistent with the Bible, freely talking about pe people even as, as Rob Bell, who, who years ago seemed to be this up-and-coming wonderful man of God who was going to lead a generation into a, a new thing in Christ. Well, he's come out and he's leading a new generation into the wrong thing. Whether he even believes that Jesus is the only way to get to heaven is extremely debatable. Yet he was, and I believe he stepped down now, he was the founding pastor of Mars Hill Church in the Midwest. Very influential. Pastors from denominations coming out and teaching things that are contrary to the Word of God. And we the people hear all of these reports and hear all of these things and we're swayed. We're swayed when people talk about how we should respond to this whole issue of whether we should accept homosexual marriage or not. I think of John, John, 2 John chapter 1, starting verses 7. And I've got a lot of scriptures today, so you can look them up or write them down or, or get, get the CD. Because we're going to move on quickly. Many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ is coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves that we do not lose those things which we work for, but that we may receive a full reward. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine... Do not receive him into your house, nor greet him. For he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. Galatians 1.8 If another gospel, a different gospel, is preached. That's what Galatians 1.8 says. If another gospel, in our track of growing spiritually, one main thing is to know the truth. The true gospel, the true Lord. As we grow spiritually, we have to know the truth. The truth of the word of God. We can't separate our belief systems from the entire Word of God. It's infallible. We believe it cover to cover. But when you read it, you have to understand the nature and the character of God. Taken out of context, or even in context, without any, any, any uh, delineations... Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. We can do so many things. We can do so many things that are contrary to the Word of God. But it's right in the Word of God. And so we can, we can stand as Obama did 
and said, you wouldn't want somebody to tell you you couldn't do something that you really felt passionate about, would you? Don't tell somebody else that they can't either. But what does the Word of God say? Who does the Word of God create God to be? It's the whole picture that we need to understand. We have to be in the Word and understand His nature and character and be lovers of His Word to know Him greatly. Many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. That was the Scripture that got it. A lot of these people believe Jesus Christ. They talk about Jesus. They talk about God. But here's what separates them. If Jesus Christ came in the flesh, remember, Christ is not Jesus' last name. Okay? It's not Jesus H. Christ. It's Jesus the Christ. The Christ means He is the Anointed One, the Messiah. He is God. So, You can believe in Jesus, but if you don't believe that Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior, God, came in the flesh, that's the gospel we're talking about. If you believe the Jesus who came as Messiah, then he is our Savior, and the things that he said we have to obey. The the person he is is God himself. It's not just a good teacher or someone else. He is the Messiah, and everything has to line up. With, with the things that would line up with the nature and character of God and the things that God commands also. And deceivers are out into this world. And woe is us as America because we've influenced the world. And in the past, we've influenced and sent missionaries all over the world. We have affected this world in a greater way than any single nation has in the history of, of the world. There's a blessing on this nation. And it's because of that blessing, I believe, that we haven't incurred God's wrath yet. But now, because of our influence in other ways, we have now become influencers in the wrong way also. And we're influencing the world in immorality and walking as spiritually dead people. We need to live as believers the true gospel. Galatians talked about that. If someone preaches another gospel, that's a different kind. As believers, we need to know the true gospel. That's the good news. That He came for all. That God so loved the world. That to all who received Him. That we have put our hope in the living God who is the Savior of all men. The good news is that Christ died for all people. That's the beginning of the good news. And that's what, that's what the, the, the gospel means. It means the good news. And it's good news also, not that He just came for all people, but it's good news because it offers us what we need. The gospel offers us what we need. Grace and undeserved favor. And that's what we need. It doesn't offer what we deserve. The gospel is the good news that talks about, gives us, what we need and not what we deserve. Christ offers this grace not as a man. Christ gives us this grace as an equal with God. Back in Galatians 1 3, grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. He is not just presented as Savior, but He's also Lord. 
The grace comes from God. It also comes from our Savior, Jesus Christ. But He's not just Savior. He's Lord. He's come in the flesh. He is God Himself. And we need to receive Him both as Savior and make Him our Lord. We're living in a time that people don't do that. Obama's profession of his Christianity just boggles my mind. But then again, the fact that the Methodists just had their their triannual convention in Florida, and one of the topics that was coming up in the Methodist church was whether or not they were going to allow homosexuality and ordain homosexual pastors in the Methodist church. You know the only thing that saved them? This is what all reports say. The only thing that saved them is that there are more African Methodist pastors than there are American Methodist pastors, and they're still conservative in Africa. That's the only reason that the Methodist church didn't take a vote and go the homosexual, homosexual agenda even in that church. We used to influence the world for God. Now the world has to influence us for God. We need to begin to stand up more and more and know and follow the true gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is good news because it gives us peace. It gives us peace when we appropriate the grace which comes from God the Father. It gives us Peace, when we understand that grace that comes, it's not a religion of works. It's religion of grace that comes. The gospel signifies what Christ did for us. The good news of the Bible talks about what Jesus did for us. He who gave himself for our sins. He gave Himself for our sins. He wanted us to have grace and mercy. But those things cannot become ours. We don't deserve them. Christ did it voluntarily, but they can't become ours until we confess our sinfulness. That's one of the things that's missing from so many of these Gospels. Confessing our sins. That would have been a great, great thing if Obama was a Christian to begin to say, you know, you know we, we need to confess our sins. But we don't, we don't hear about that from these people because sin is an ugly word. Sin is an ugly topic. It doesn't make you feel good. We need to feel better about ourselves. Matthew 3, 2 says, Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. I read in Romans that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The gospel presentation is a matter of us confessing our sinfulness. And 1 John says that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just, and He'll forgive us our sins, and He'll purify us from all unrighteousness. It's not a gospel of just accepting everything so that we don't have unrighteousness. And that's what's being taught too many places. So we first confess our sins and our sinfulness, and we turn to Christ for salvation. As you read the whole Bible and and put it together and you understand Christ's gift, I believe that there's a place in there that He actually said, repent and be baptized. There's a time of repentance. Romans 10 says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you'll be saved. It is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. That's the Gospel. When we do these things, when we trust Him as our, as our Lord and Savior, Galatians 1.4 says that He will deliver us from this present world. 
What does that mean? For, for some, we probably think that means we get to go to heaven. But I, I don't believe that he's talking about heaven. I believe right now, it, when you read that in the, in, in the Greek, it just simply just means that he might deliver us out of or to take us out of the world. In spite of the fact that we are salt and light, we still remain in this world. But Christ can remove its evil influence from us. And throughout the Scriptures, He tells us that we need to be part of that act. Remove yourself. If somebody's preaching another gospel, and they're co- don't let them into your home. When I read that Scripture, I was so convicted. Because people come into my home through Netflix. People come into my home through the computer. Now, I didn't say cable. We don't have cable. We've limited that. We don't want, that. We don't want things coming in so freely. Because with cable, you just turn it on and there it is. But, but even in the choices that we make, who's coming into your home? Are they preaching another gospel to you? Don't let them into your home. I remember Vaughn Adams, a youth pastor from many years ago. He had this bumper sticker out. It was just great. It said, kill your TV. Yeah. Kill your TV. And he literally went out. He took his TV out. Any of you with him when he did it? He took his TV out into the woods somewhere and he shot it. He blew it up. Boom! Christ wants to remove the world's evil influence from us. And here's the crazy thing. He wants to remove it and we keep going, but I want more. We need to follow the gospel and grow spiritually and, and, and use this as our, our view and our lens and grow a spiritual, biblical worldview through this. And, and we've got to be so careful because the world is yelling. You know, the, the world says, and, and, I, and I want to tell you something right now. My belief about homosexuality is it's no different than gossip as a sin. It's on the same playing field. Now, there are more ramifications to some sins. And there are some, some mental ramifications to homosexuality that, that gossip doesn't have. There are some social things that homosexuality causes that other sins don't. But as far as sin goes, we've, we've lifted that thing up on a pedestal and said that's the number one sin, and we excuse a lot of other sins because of that. We need to understand sin is sin, and we need to be, begin to live holy lives in the sight of God. Yeah. But I'm, I'm picking on homosexuality because of, the, of, of what has happened recently. And the world is screaming so loud that we're beginning to believe it. And I, I, there's no way to prove them wrong. They say, the media says right now that... Over 50% of Americans are for homosexual marriage. I've been hearing that statistic for, for weeks because it's re- really out. And the news reporters are just saying the same. And I go, wait a second. 32 states have said that they don't allow homosexual marriage. There's 50, <laughs> 32, 50, that's not half. They are lying. But the reason they're lying is because the conservatives have also become so afraid to speak what they believe that we be, we're becoming more and more silent. Now, I'm not saying go out and bash homosexuals. On the contrary, we're supposed to love homosexuals. Just like we love gossips and drunkards and anyone else. Pick the sin. But we have to stand up for righteousness' sake. And I don't believe the rhetoric that over 50% of Americans are for this. But the more you hear it, the more you'll believe it. 
and there will be people, many, 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 many evangelicals, and I, I, ha- and I forgot the slide on my computer, who, who will just more and more begin to just go with the flow because they're going to say, man, if 52% of people believe it, oh, then I, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they're right. Maybe my religion is archaic. Maybe, you know, Jesus never did say anything specifically about homosexuality. Maybe it's just okay and we're going to begin to buy into the lie unless we have the true gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ. What does it say? What does it purport? We have to love the Word of God and know it and understand the Jesus that it speaks about. We've been having great times in our, in our life group talking about the Word of God and, and, and the fact that we as believers, we have to. We're held to just follow this because the moment we deter from it, then our whole Christian faith is subjective. The moment we decide, well, part of it's probably not inspired, then we become the master of deciding which part is right and which part is wrong, and we make our own religion. But the gospel is the whole good news. He died for our sins according to the Scripture. He was buried and He rose again according to the Scriptures. People don't want to follow Christ as their Lord. They want to follow him as a good teacher and a representative of good morals. Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? The gospel is false when it's based only on the humanity of Jesus. And that's what I hear in President Obama's statement. It's all about humanness, feelings, you know, and... And I'm, I'm a compassionate guy. I mean, I was crying last week just reading the thing I was reading. I, I really do care. And I, I have a number of homosexual friends, acquaintances. And, I, and we, we, we can eat meals together. They're unsaved. And whenever I have the opportunity, I, I tell them. But I don't reject them as, as... I love them. I love people. But, but we can allow ourselves, and we have to be careful not to go that route of going, well, you know, it does sound like we're kind of picking on them. All they want is... I'm talking about is standing for truth and righteousness. And, and, and also understanding that we are on such a slippery slope that unrighteousness is going, is going to be called righteous. And what we believe is going to be called unrighteous. And we're going to have such a harder time telling people about Jesus as we go down this slope. It's going to get harder and harder and we need to stand firm knowing the truth and not going down that road. Not letting your friends go down that road. Again, the whole gospel says, love your neighbor. It says, have love one for another. It's not about bashing. It's not about condemning one sin over the other. It's about lifting up Jesus as the healer and deliverer and Savior. That's what it's about. The Gospel isn't about works. 
Any, any belief that suggests works to be the means of salvation is not the gospel. And, and we have to be so careful of that in the, in the church today. But it's by faith we receive what Christ accomplished. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message is heard through the word of Galatians 2. Know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. For it, has been, it is by grace you've been saved. Through faith, not from yourself. It's the gift, not by works. So our gospel is, is a message of undeserved favor and grace. It's not of works. It's a gospel that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is the reason of our salvation. We have to repent. We have to confess. We have to receive His gift. And another, thing, another gospel, we've talked about the gospel that presents Jesus as human. We've talked about the gospel who doesn't meet the criteria of the Bible, but another portion that makes the gospel not the gospel is any gospel which does not produce a changed life is not the gospel. And in the church, U.S.-wide, we have a problem. Because there's a lot of people in the church that are not producing a changed life. But we probably will find as for everyone who's not having a changed life, they've not allowed the Word to change them and confront their sin. I think of the fruit of the Spirit. I think of Scriptures that say, yes, we're not saved by works, but faith without works is dead. See, the, the Bible says that as, as we're in Christ, He lives in us, and the old man, the flesh, is gone away. And that works of righteousness will begin to happen, and the fruit of the Spirit will begin to happen in the life of a believer who's been changed by the gospel. It's got to be an entire gospel which talks about a changed life. Remember, the gospel says that we would be alienated from the world system. A believer in the true gospel is going to be alienated from the world system. And here's the thing that we, we've got to understand and we've got to get it quick. We've grown up with the idea that this was a Christian nation. And we grew up, especially some of you who were, who were born before like 1970 and you know, who remember the, the 50s and early 60s or even the 40s when most people went to church on Sundays, that, that God was a part of like everyday life, that stores were closed on Sundays that these things, these were all part of the Christian heritage of, of this nation. But those who are, who are younger, in fact, that was one of the statistics I had up there, 32% of young people, 17 to 30, only 32% are still opposed to, to gay marriage. Just 20 years ago, it was it was double that. In 20 years, it's it's gone down that low because we we don't remember the times of really living in a in a Christian nation and it was coming down. But 
because some of you grew up in such a strong Christian understanding, and even myself, because I, I got saved at a young age, we haven't had to experience alienation from the world. If you've always experienced alienation as a Christian, then to continue to be alienated is fine. But we're just beginning to understand being alienated, being mocked at, being ridiculed. The time will come in this nation, I firmly believe, that we'll be killed. I mean, it's happening today. I mean, I, I got the report, and I think it was false, that Pastor Youssef in Iran was already executed, but, but I, I couldn't confirm that, so he's, he's waiting. And his whole reason for being executed is that he's a Christian. And it's going to come to this nation. But remember, the gospel, the true gospel, said that we would be alienated. Even in my generation, we, we were preaching this stuff that was confusing to, to the masses of going, well, you know, you need to be really mixed in there. We need to look like them so that we can reach them. And that backfired. We started looking so much like them, we couldn't tell the difference. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. Anyone stand up for something and are beginning to feel, feel those things of hatred towards you? Now, I'm not saying being hated because you're a jerk. <laughs> Don't. You know, if you're a jerk, people are just going to hate you. But I'm talking about standing for righteousness here. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name. For they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoke to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Now, however, they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father as well. Oh, I love God, but Jesus, I have a problem with. He who hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them what no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen these miracles, and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. And we're going to receive the same hatred and bigotry. And it's happening more and more. I've given them your word and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. Church, a cry that comes out to us. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And the time will come at different times and is already upon us that we'll be making choices of friendships, of jobs, of places to shop, maybe even of places to live that we can't love the world so much that we don't walk away from it. So if we love the world so much, we'll be afraid to lose our job over righteousness' sake because we have to keep what we're accustomed to in our living and our homes and our cars. Don't love the world so much that when the time comes up, you won't be able to walk away from those things when they go against what we believe holds true in the true gospel. Grow spiritually. As we grow spiritually, we need, to, uh, we need to know who Jesus is. And when somebody comes up with this 
cock-a-bull story of love everybody as they love you. And we go, oh, that sounds so right. No, we know the Word of God and we know Him who wrote the Word of God. And it's contrary to His character and nature. As we do that, as we do that, and I believe more, you know, we really have to get this side of it. We go back to as we stand up for righteousness, as we're able to speak what we believe and live the way we want, we need to do it in and through love. That ties it all together. If it's out of anger because you just don't like certain types of people, then you need to repent and go to God and get that dealt with. We need to love people. Love them. But stand for righteousness. And we have to know what righteousness is. We have to know what righteousness is. And we're only going to know that through knowing Him personally and knowing the Word of God. Father, I thank You that You saw fit to give us and leave us with Your words. God, with that which we would base our lives upon in this. And I pray, God, that You would help each of us to grow more and more. Cause us to be lovers of You and lovers of Your Word. Cause us to be those that would, as Timothy, that we would rightly divide the Word of truth, God. Let us be workmen not ashamed who rightly divide, who rightly work in this Word of truth. We need to know You and we need to know the doctrines of Christ as Galatians talked about and stand in them. As the dark times come, Lord, help us to stand in righteousness and lift our voices loud and not, and not allow as much as we can, as much as an individual we can, not continue down the slippery slope. God, above all that, I pray that we would put on love. Love after all of those things because we need to stand in righteousness first and then love. God, so we can love sinners, but be able to say that we hate the sin, but that we'll love people so long that we'll take them and introduce them to Jesus. Strength this day, God, I thank You that, that we in this room, God, we are lovers of You. I thank You, God, that these are our men and women of God who are pressing in to know You more and more. God, help us to raise the standard high in this valley for all the world and all this valley to see. In Jesus' name, Amen. Now don't you don't get to go. Sorry. Real quick, uh, Joe Stangle's going to come, and um, going to ask just a real.